Hey everyone, welcome back. Uh, Garrett and I are here with chapter 9, the last chapter of Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, titled Marita's Bargain. And we got another pretty interesting topic today, I would say. I would say so as well. Cool. <laughs> I, I, I am. All right. <laughs> So this chapter uh, talks about the quality of schooling that we have in our country versus like Asian countries, for example. Um, and it compares kind of inner city uh, schooling to those to, to people that live in the suburbs, basically. And talks about that schooling versus um, not only versus each other, but also versus other countries. A big thing that people believe in our country is that schooling in inner cities just doesn't work. That kids just don't learn. And that is proven false when looked when the data when the data is looked at. Man, I cannot talk today. Yeah, that's kind of the belief that he takes a shot at in this chapter. He talks about how a lot of times people claim schooling's not working, so they dump a lot of money into it. They buy new laptops, school supplies, all that stuff. But then nothing actually changes in the test scores. And the way they discovered that it might be due to something else was that they took, they did IQ tests for kids. I think it was reading tests. Okay, they did, that works, yeah, I don't, you're probably right. They did reading tests for kids, but they did it at the start and at the end of each school year instead of just once a year. And they compared and kind of broke out <clears throat> this test. They broke kids out based on their demographic, based on e economics. So they had high class, middle class, low class kids. And they found that the gains that the kids made during the school year were pretty much equal no matter which class they came from. But the big difference was over summer break, the high-class kids, their IQ or their reading score still went up a lot. Middle-class kids, it went up a little bit. Low-class kids, it went down. So they kind of regressed during the summer. And that basically shows that the school systems, they are working. Kids are learning. It's just that over a course of an education through elementary school, middle school, high school, that's like, what, 8, 12 summers? 11? I don't know. 11, 11 summers, summers, maybe. <laughs> it's First 11. Grade. 12, yeah, 11 summers. Um, that's a lot of time for the upper class kids to learn. And that's because their parents take them to museums. They make them read books, all that stuff. While low class parents, they're still busy working. and don't have as much time to dedicate to their kids. Anyway, that kind of showed that the school system is potentially working. It just comes down to the amount of time kids spend in the classroom. Yeah. So those kids that may not have a ton of books to read at home or may just be sat in front of the TV, um, they tend to unlearn at a higher rate during the summer than those kids that 
you know, may may go to summer camp or or have a lot of structured activities in their lives. Uh, it's really interesting because the educational system in America at one point was reformed, and the reformers did it after the pretty much the farming season. They thought, you know, you cultivate the ground, you also have to cultivate a mind um, to educate it. So they patterned <clears throat> they patterned it after the uh, the growing season where you you have two busy seasons you have spring and fall and then summer and winter are just <clears throat> kind of chill um, but you work really hard in the spring and the fall the spring when you plant and the fall when you harvest and everything in between is just a lot more relaxed. So they also thought that if you plant too much on the same ground over and over again, eventually that ground loses its fertility. So they thought mines were kind of the same way. You have to have a, a break or else you'll uh, stop learning, basically, which is super interesting. Yeah, it seems kind of flawed, apparently. Yeah. But the one study they mentioned that they did in, like, 1871 was <clears throat> the U.S. Commissioner of Education published a report by Edward Jarvis. Okay. And Jarvis, he looked at about 1,700 cases of insanity, and he concluded that overstudy was the reason for over 200 of those cases. <laughs> so you just learn too much, you go insane. So they were like, oh, we cannot push these students too hard. Um, I thought that was pretty funny. That is Because, like, why were the kids overstudying? My my mind tells me that they had some, like, overbearing parent or teacher, probably parent, who, like, forced them to study and... Uh, probably had their own, you know, mental issues or whatever. Like an overbearing parent itself is probably more likely to lead to insanity than I would, reading yeah. too much, right? That's kind of what I thought about it. But anyway, due to this reform that Garrett mentioned, they reduced the time spent in school. Um, and that reduction has kind of continued um, to today where summer vacation is, is pretty long and there are a lot of breaks and, um, it's very romanticized as well. Like everyone knows about summer vacation. There's movies about it. Yeah. It's, like, a, it's, every, it's our culture. Just, it's part of our culture. Yeah. Everyone loves it. <laughs> yeah. The thing is a lot of other countries, especially he mentioned South Korea and Japan, they do not do that. Um, and in the end he breaks it down. The United States uh, in, you know, today, the average school year is 180 days long. In South Korea, kids are in school 220 days of the year, and in Japan, 243 days of the year. So that is, if you break it down by percentage, Japan is in, you know, they have, what's the math there? 33% more school days a year? Yeah. Not even taking into account... <laughs> the efficiency of those school days, right? Because a lot of kids in a school day are only sitting in class learning for, you know, three or four hours maybe. Yeah. Um, 
And then if you look at that and compare that to, you know, the countries that do better than us on all the tests, I'm sure they line up pretty well. I would assume so, yeah. Um, so this chapter talks about this girl named Marita, who is an inner city kid in the Bronx. And one thing that the the school system in the Bronx decided to do was create this, I'm going to call it like an ultra junior high. Ultra. <laughs> like just this middle school where they take 35 kids a year uh, and they, they're they admitted by lottery into the class. So anyone within like the the inner city... Bronx area can apply, and apparently that's a pretty big area. I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know the school boundaries for New York, but yeah. <clears throat> pretty big area. And they take 35 kids a year per class, um, and I think you get in when you're in, like, fifth grade. I think it starts in fifth grade and goes till eighth grade. And you... Uh, it's called Kip Kip Middle School, and it's just this school where they decided to address the problems that they see in the inner city school schooling system, basically. So they these kids get up a lot of them before five thirty just to get to school by seven twenty um, and start school. They stay in class. I think that at the fifth grade year, they do two hours of math a day. Uh, after that, it becomes an hour, and then they do like an hour of English, an hour of science, an hour of social studies. Like They, they just have normal schooling, but it goes till 5 o'clock every day, which that in, of, in and of itself is insane. I yeah. would not be able to do that. <laughs> You throw in the three to four hours of homework they have a night after that. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, you throw in, they come in on Saturdays. Yeah, they had like half days on Saturdays, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and then on top of that, they go an extra three weeks into the summer that then regular schools do. So they just beat these kids over the head with learning. Books, <laughs> math. Yeah. But these kids, like, love it, and they learn a lot. I mean, they don't love it at first, and I'm sure not all of them love it, love it, but... Yeah, Marita talked about how, and she's a 12-year-old, as she's probably doing this interview or whatever, but talks about how it was it was really hard at first, but now she's just like, yeah, it's normal. All my friends go there. It's just my life, and she's okay with it. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but... No, you're good. And the chapter is called Her Bargain, Marita's Bargain, because it really is a huge life change, but as Garrett mentioned, the results are good. The results are pretty impressive. A lot of these kids, and remember, they're coming from inner city school districts that are not known for pumping out college students, we could say. Um, A huge percentage of them end up getting scholarships, going to college. There is a drastic improvement in... um, the results, essentially, in these kids' um, education. 
And the reason it's called a bargain is because obviously these kids are giving up a lot to go here. But from Marita's perspective, she would very likely be stuck in poverty if it weren't for this opportunity. She would very likely be living a low-class life like her mom does and her parents do um, if it weren't for this chance to work really hard, learn these things, and, and break that poverty cycle. Yeah. And that's that's kind of what I got from from the story is, is it is a bargain, um, but it also is a, a very big opportunity. And the question that Malcolm Gladwell kind of brings up is, <clears throat> is that really a bad bargain? Um, because although a lot of people would frown on forcing your kid to go through that, if it changes their life in a lot of very good ways long term, is that worth it? You know, it's kind of, I feel like the question he raises. Yeah, well, when you break it down as well, I think a lot of parents are willing to let their kids go through hard things if they know that it'll help them in the long run. I mean, very... Would you agree? I think some wouldn't. I think ideally everyone would agree to that. I think in practice it's a lot harder. That's fair. Not that I'm a parent yet. I'm not either, so (laughs) I don't... I don't know. I feel like it's just... Particularly if you were in that situation as a parent where you lived in that lower class and you know what it does to people and how hard it is, I feel like you would be willing to push your kid to work hard now and live an easier life later. But maybe I'm wrong. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Looking at it from the parent of these students, that makes sense. And he mentions that they don't allow very many kids in a year, but they get a lot of applications. They get a lot of kids. It's, you know, it's... You get pretty lucky if you get selected in this lottery to get into the school because just like you said, it seems like a lot of parents are are willing and want that for their kids. So my question to you, would it be better to have this school or if kids unlearn during the summer, would it be easier for inner city kids um, and I'm only saying inner city because that's where the problem seems to be as far as like unlearning. Would it be easier to switch to more of a, a year-round system where they have a couple weeks off every few weeks and then send them to school all the other times? Uh, do you think they that kids would unlearn less or... I, I I don't know. Is there an easier it's, way than this high school? <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, one of the big questions that comes up is <coughs> is you know, are the kids in our country spending enough time learning? Seems yeah. like they're not, right? Um how to organize that? I don't know. Obviously, like you brought up, the idea of taking away summer vacation just sounds un-American. <laughs> yeah. But 
but yeah, like, are we setting up more kids to fail because we continue to do summer education, summer vacation? I don't know. It seems like it. Well, yeah, but you also, like, time at home is also important, you know? It is. Yeah, and again, we're looking at this solely through the lens of, like, reading scores, right? Yeah. Obviously, success in life is more than a reading score. And there probably is something to not having as well-rounded of kids if they spend too much time in the classroom. Yeah. Although it seems like we may be erring way too far on the side of not enough time in learning, right? I say in the classroom. I'm sure a lot of time spent in classrooms. Based on my experience in public school, like the time that I spent at school compared to the time I spent learning at school, two very different things. Yeah, very you know? different but, things. I also think that a lot, a large portion of this falls on the parents of kids. Like you have to push your kids to do. Like I didn't sit down and say I want to do homework. You know. Yeah. Like you have to somehow figure out how you're going to get your kids to do their homework. How you're going to get them to like reading. Yeah. And it's part. Part of that's on you as a parent. But that's really hard when you're when you have to work all the time, you know? When you're working two or three or four jobs just to survive. Yeah, it's you know, it's a kind of question of time and resources that yeah. higher class families have. And I agree though, in, in an ideal world a kid could go to a public school. Let's be honest, a, a, one of the purposes of school is it's like a daycare, right? So yeah. the parents can work. Um, so it makes sense to like shorten summer break for that and, and have slightly longer school hours. Um, but yeah, what I was going to say, and I agree with you in an ideal world, the parents would take on the responsibility for education outside of school. And I think any good parent would be capable of that. I was listening to a general conference talk recently and I don't remember it was sometime within the last five years it might have been the very last session but the guy giving the talk told a story and I don't remember if it was him but I think it was it was his life story of how at one point him and his older brother were just like flunking out of school just being like delinquents and and the class clowns and all that and then his mother just like came home one day and she's like, nope, turn off the TV. You guys are going to read a book and write a report on it. Like one a week. You have to like, you're going to watch wow. <laughs> this much TV. And she was poor. She was like a single mother. Again, I could be butchering this conference talk. This is what I remember yeah. though. She essentially laid down the law, forced them to learn and read. And they completely turned their um, educations around. They both ended up being very successful professionals and in an ideal world, yeah, every parent could do that and would do that, right? But it's a lot easier saying that than doing it when you, you know, then like it's a lot easier me telling some lower class single mother to do that than her actually doing it. Yeah. no, I didn't I, word I, that correctly, but I think you understand my I, point. I agree with it. Yeah, I know what you're saying. That's interesting as well because one thing that one of my teachers growing up told me was that the greatest skill she could teach me was how to read because you can learn anything you need to know if you know how to read. Yeah. Uh, which is true. That's just a thought I had. doesn't really... It's a good thought. Yeah. I should read more. 
<clears throat> I should too. It's just there's not enough time in the day. I'm starting to realize that. <laughs> yeah. There's so much I want to do and there's just not enough time. <laughs> yeah. Well, um yeah, I mean my main takeaway from this chapter though is like I don't know if we ever flushed out this thought that kind of got brought up, but there is more to life than your reading score in 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 school, right? But like I think it is because I don't think our country is going to decide to get away with summer vacation, do away with summer vacation. There is definitely a portion of education that needs to fall on the shoulders of the parents. And as a future parent, I definitely want to instill like that love of reading in my kids and strive to broaden their horizons, especially over summer break, you know. And a portion of that, yeah, is going to be like, I want them to learn and try to educate them on things. But I also think, and that's why this chapter is hard to wrap your mind around, because Marita seems like she's given up her childhood, in a sense. I feel like there's a way to have both. Like, still make sure your kid's learning enough, but also just, like, provide them with happy life experiences to, like... Become emotionally intelligent as well, maybe, is a good way of putting it. Yeah. That's interesting as well. So my sister has two kids, or three kids, and uh, one of them really loves to read. And she's basically also bribing this children, this child to read. (laughs) And she's read over a hundred books and she pays her like a dollar a book basically and uh my wife is like that's just kind of ridiculous i think but honestly in the long run in my opinion it's a pretty good investment because you're just teaching a kid to to learn to uh, to love to learn and to love to read yeah so yeah that sounds that's I'd have to think about it, but that seems like a pretty good parenting tactic. <laughs> I mean, it's like low low cost. It's a dollar, right? Yeah. But if that's like just the motivation your kid needs to read instead of watch TV or whatever, yeah. And like, like they're they're like, worth it. <laughs> they're like small books, but they're technically chapter books. It's like you know, Magic Treehouse Tree type House, books. Yeah. So. I don't know. I think hmm. in the long run, if it helps your child, why not? Yeah. You're just teaching them, you're teaching them not only to learn to, to read, like to love to read, but you're also teaching them the value of money at the same time. Yeah. And which like I feel like is a good lesson. Value of working for something. Yeah. It's essentially a job now. Yeah. But hopefully, obviously, it doesn't get to the point where... Yeah, I don't think it would get to the point where she, like, resents it. Yeah. <laughs> like, people resent their jobs. Now, with that being said, there's also thresholds that she has to meet. So, like, the first one was 100, 100 books, and she would get 100 bucks. I think the next one's, like, 500. Wow. So, she only gets the money if she finishes, you know. So, 
It's not like just straight over, hand over a dollar every time. How old is this niece of yours? She's seven, almost eight. What is she going to do with $500? <laughs> that's, what, that's what my wife says. And I'm like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> Set up a bank account for yeah. her. Yeah. Save right. for college. Yeah. Funny. Yeah. yeah. That's That sounds like a... Yeah, I guess I yeah, I definitely want to. I feel like I read a lot as a kid. More I so than I do now. I didn't read as much as I should. I read way more now than I ever do as a kid. I mean, I yeah, I don't know. I want my kids to read. I'm excited to like read them books and stuff. Yeah. Well, that's all. That's I all I got. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone.